<laughs> I really like the idea of um, having a podcast and just um, when you're having conversations with someone, just be like, save the gold. Save the gold. Save the gold. Uh, right, where's my notes? So, yeah, save the gold. Welcome, one and all, to episode 18 of Required Reading, a film podcast. We are very pleased to have you here, uh, to have you click on us, click on our name on your chosen device and decide to listen to us. We know there are many other podcasts out there. We know there are many other choices you could be making in these uh, in these strange times, but we're glad that you've chosen us. We are a film podcast with a little bit of a difference. We are a couple of friends that uh, like to chew over a movie that we've uh, that we've seen and invite you to contribute that also but who is that friend i hear you i don't hear you ask but i am imagining you hearing you ask it's dan hey dan how you doing hello my long distance buddy how you doing i'm very good thank you very much um we're here to talk about a film called midsummer um a, cho- a choice chosen by you Choice chosen um, by me, yes. It's recently added to Amazon Prime Video. Um, very pleased to see it up there, as it was one that, um, yeah, I I missed um, at the cinema and didn't get the Blu-ray of, and um, actually only got around to seeing the director's previous film really recently, like a month ago, like a month and a bit ago. Who is uh, is Ari Aster? The uh, he of um of uh, hereditary Her- hereditary um, yes hereditary which um yeah was very um incendiary <laughs> um, <laughs> there was fire involved there was fire involved it was a um a really interesting one and I don't know is it cheesy to talk about new horror or something like that no but it feels no. like. It feels like a new wave of of horror, and this one um, and Midsummer really feels like a um, like a nod towards that. The idea of deconstructing horror and and um, and such like. But um, we also, apart from you and I talking about it, um, is we've invited some other people to watch it and send us their reviews, and and we're going to go through those also. And um, I'm also going back to thing that we used to do is i've got the film playing in the background as well so for us to refer to a classic uh, well, that's, that's, that's great for you alex good for you bully for you <laughs> but of course it is different because we're not together are we we're the, we are observing the social distancing that has become the uh become part of our times now but um i think it's fairly clear that neither of us have it now so we probably should meet up for a hug a hug and a snog. A hug and a snog. I, do, um, I miss, Just miss seeing you, buddy. The pre-episode ritual, as we call it. Yes, absolutely. And uh, hug, snog, and a handy. And <laughs> but as is again one of our uh, one of our traditions, Dan, what did you think of the film <laughs> Midsummer? You always throw the biggest, most difficult question to answer right at the start, don't you? Um, so Midsummer, I was fortunate enough to see, fortunate enough to see at the cinema with my wife, and um, it's an interesting film to watch with your other half because you know at the heart of it, as well as being a film that's really about um, grief, it's also about escaping a, a fairly toxic 
relationship as well and and how people can really run on autopilot and sort of circle around the drain for such a long time before before pulling the trigger Mm. and sometimes they just don't pull the trigger at all and so this is a really um inventive and grim way of, of of tackling that and and the and the quest for acceptance and the quest for a new family after mm. you've lost your own family um but but obviously delivered with some absolutely startling um you know burned into the mind visuals <laughs> as well um that yeah. you, you won't soon forget what was what was interesting about this is that um i think often when i'm asked to go over a film that I haven't seen for some time, I really have to sit back and watch the film and go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that oh that happened. Oh, yeah, oh, oh I forgot about that bit. Oh, yeah. Um, hmm. whereas, whereas with Midsummer, I, I hadn't really forgotten anything. <laughs> it was um, <laughs> it was all sort of indelibly, indelibly etched. Yeah. I, well, I, it's, it's etched is almost too, um, I guess, genteel a term. <laughs> branded i think branded might be a more suitable turn of phrase it, it it's really an amazing one in that regard i think he has uh referring to the director has really made a, a mark now you know going going back to that idea of branding it's i was had this definitely in my mind as one i definitely needed to watch i i really loved hereditary and um this film is it's definitely attempting something, which is probably my, you know, which is probably the highest, you know, compliment I can give. Because for a, a genre of film that, you know, isn't isn't one of my favourites, it isn't one of my go-tos, but I do, if I do go into it, I do really enjoy it. Very similar to music. And there's an, another little connection there, which I, I want to go back to. But, you know, the, the idea that there's no good or bad music, that there's there's no sort of good or bad genres it's just good or bad music rather mm. and you know horror isn't uh, you know isn't a bad genre it's just bad horror is particularly bad because you know jump scares i feel are a particularly cheap way of of scaring someone i think you can it's actually quite mechanical i think you can get jump scares you know relatively easily um but for something really truly to be unsettling, you know, in this new horror landscape, say something like It Follows or Babadook or these kind of films that are just really attempting something different, I really feel that Midsummer just really reaches quite far. And it's probably, again, the best and the worst parts of the film is is how much it's really trying to, you know, step away from, from what horror, you know, is and what it, it typically is. And the other thing, referring back to what you were saying about the idea of thinking about a movie that you've watched before and trying to remember parts of it, is that's something that you kind of do when you're making music and mixing music, is you almost turn it right down and then you listen out for the the bits that really stand out, like you know, to know what to mix, mm. you know. Um, it's, and it's quite an interesting way that this one, it it all stood out. It was all like quite you know quite well balanced um, in in that regard. And I you know I thought that was quite interesting. It feels in some ways that what Ariasta had done with this film was was set himself a bit of a challenge, um, because when you think about it, it is how do you make a horror film that feels claustrophobic yet it takes place in an almost completely open air mm-hmm. environment 
and has a sense of dread despite taking place exclusively in daylight. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna direct a horror and you wanna set yourself a few challenges, that that's that those are two fairly um tough criteria to to attempt to achieve yeah this is the mario sunshine of horrors isn't it the <laughs> idea of just completely taking taking the uh taking the palette of a regular thing and just completely changing it and that was i love that about this the really bright blues and the yellows of the um of the final setting the you know it was almost like a clearing wasn't it in mm. in sweden which i thought was great synopsis of the plot I, it's so difficult to go through really um and what i like to t- talk about is what your impressions were of the movie before what you'd heard about the film or or what you thought it was going to be i was expecting uh, i had someone refer to it as though it was a like a festival like a festival film and uh, although it is i was kind of expecting it to be like a, a glastonbury or something or something weird happening at a festival sort of crossed uh, with um crossed with the wicker man or something like that which you know again isn't isn't un, isn't unfair wicker man comparisons you know do do hold up but yeah it's not that kind of festival <laughs> no i mean I, I well for me i knew from the title what it was purely because a colleague of mine has gone to real mid- midsummer a few times because he has friends in sweden and we also then hired a uh, a swedish lady to work for us as well mm. so she had some preconceived notions about the, what the film was and she still hasn't watched it because she doesn't want it to sully her um, her love of midsummer because obviously it is it is actually a, a regular thing that happens in Sweden it's a joyous occasion it's a time for friends and everyone to get together and you know feast and party and just have a great time so to me in some ways what I was expecting from the film although I knew Ariasta would treat it w- with a more delicate touch my my worry was that it might veer into and i guess in some ways it does if you think of it from a perspective of a of an american for example it does veer somewhere towards uh, the likes of hostel or even mm. or even taken in which they set up the unfamiliarity of a country almost in order to provoke a slightly sort of xenophobic fear in the audience which is very easily done with a a great deal of america i imagine you know the majority that don't own passports Mm. but say for example hostel which i think did it take place in iceland or i know it wasn't iceland there was an icelandic character in it but um you know it was that idea of going to an eastern european country and then you know backpackers are all going to be tortured and murdered taken was pretty lady lands in europe is immediately enlisted into sex trafficking from the airport from like, the airport you know. like literally lands bump sex trafficking and then and then this obviously tackles it in a different way but you know it's still overseas people americans um and a couple of londoners head over to uh to lovely old sweden which you know couldn't be more picturesque and full of lovely mm. smiley people uh and are then embroiled in a bizarre death cult ritual yeah it's it, I, I suppose that is a, a part of the cultural horror the unsettling nature of it is because a lot of americans that want to broaden their horizons you know they take that pilgrimage over to europe they talk about it you hear it referred to in a lot of american sort of pop culture don't you the yeah 
wanting to go to Paris, wanting to go to London. And uh, yeah, I think this this definitely does does play with it. And uh, we obviously have the Swedish character that's part of their crew. So again, Hell yeah, yeah that's, that, 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 that's part of it, isn't it? That, oh, it, it must be fine because we're going with you. And that's always something that relatively puts you at ease doesn't it when you're going somewhere new is it's not going to be completely new we're going to have a we're going to have a guide and and we rely on him even as the viewer we rely on him to take us through some of the things that are happening and see his reaction to things to see whether we're overreacting and whether the main characters are overreacting mm. um just want to pause for a second just to say how much i really really like will poulter yes the actor that's in this thing i don't know what it is it's just anything that he's in or kind of appears in i just i've got time time for him you know he was managed to sell me in on um on on what's going on he's uh i think i saw him in the the um that we're the millers which is a pretty yes. average uh average is that, film is that, but... is that jason sudeikis mm, yeah yeah um from 2013 um and i think he's been in you know like the some of those um sub twilighty uh, the maze runner and other bits and pieces he but, was um, in um i think he made his film debut in son of rambo which yes which is a garth jennings film i think yeah. um and i'm trying to remember what i saw was it wasn't he in the revenant or something like that he was exactly right yeah he was in the revenant and he was great in that but he was also good as the um sort of savant genius in um in uh, bandersnatch the Black oh, Mirror, choose yeah. your own so yeah. it, it's funny because I, I I try to remember the name of the series, but the first time I became aware of him was when he was very young. Um, there was a Channel Four sketch show which was all kids. It was like an all kids sketch show, mm. and and even then, even though it wasn't particularly funny, he showed a real aptitude for voices. He did so many different accents and um, impressions uh, in that show, and he must have only been you know. 13 14 years old maybe if 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 that and you do all these spot like spot on south african impressions that was the one that was stuck out he plays like south african security guard so yeah i think i think he's obviously a talent but he's obviously got a hell of an agent as well because um he he, he gets some real plum roles doesn't he well he's um also got quite good uh batman eyebrows uh, you know, it's sort of uh he's got one of those ones that he would suit the cowl even though it's uh even though it's got a uh a Pattinson in it at the moment I think he would do quite well but uh yeah speaking of which I guess we should talk about uh, about Florence this film is um pretty much centered around her Florence Pugh um mm-hmm. she's so hot right now obviously is you know is is being spoken about um what, what what's your opinion of her what do you think I think I think she just absolutely I, I wouldn't say carries the film because everyone's you know pretty uniformly great in it but she um you know as the heart of the film is is absolutely incredible and goes through such an incredible um you know roller coaster of emotions throughout it i mean her her grief crying is mm. unbelievably good like it's it's so authentic i remember this is quite a grim sort of sidebar but um i, I remember my wife told me that some when when Madeline McCann went missing, <laughs> stick with me here. When um she went missing, apparently a woman that heard the mother's response when she discovered that she disappeared said that she'd only heard that type of crying once other time in her life, and it was I think it was like a death of a relative or something like that. It was they said it was the sort of crying that you you can't fake, right? It, it, you know, it's this sort of guttural from the soul, you know, sob, uncontrollable sob. Um, and and she does that in such a non 
Hollywood way. You know, it, it is the it's the ultimate sort of ugly cry. It just it really sells her in for the rest of the film, I think, and it just really sets just like what what frame of mind she's in throughout that, and also immediately creates a, a huge gulf between her and uh, her bloke Christian Jack Rayner's character mm. Christian because he hasn't he has no real emotional response to it no real response to the situation and no real empathy with with her plight either even no. even as that you know it's, it's a sort of an ah there there pat on the back but yeah I th- and, uh, but I, I really think that sets the tone for the rest the rest of her performance and yeah we, we, she she goes through so many strange <laughs> strange scenarios and um you know culminating with that sort of beatific smile right at the end which mm. is almost a bit like that slightly unnerving lack of surprise that we always see on Pell's face throughout it, you know, because he's clearly been indoctrinated into the the family as well, uh, you know, and sees this all as fairly fairly standard behaviour, uh, and 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 by the end of it, uh, she's she's obviously under the. Uh, influence of many many hallucinogens is sort of coming to terms with it all as well well it's it's all part of the plan isn't it i mean uh, i absolutely love the scene where she makes her big discovery and goes back to the uh, the residential uh, hut and she's on her on all fours and she's doing that kind of crying sort of screaming part and all the rest of the women are around her doing the same like mimicking her Yes, well, that's um, that, that's that's part of when she realizes she's mm. found people because that that's to return to the point. You know, there's no there's no empathy with Christian, and then with this mm. group, when she you know when she mourns, when she grieves, when she cries, they're they're doing it right alongside her. So yeah, grief is obviously a massive part of this film. It's mm. how we are introduced to her this uh, horrific suicide, stroke, murder of of her uh, of her family, of her parents, and and her sister, who is uh, suffering. Um, she was bipolar, wasn't it? Disorder. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we're introduced to her through her grief. We uh, we empathize with her through it and i think if there's any kind of key takeaway about it is that you know grief isn't a isn't a straight line she weaves in and out of of needing to grieve and then needing to almost forget about what's happened mm. there's a, a really great scene like the second scene where pele brings it up and she it breaks over her face she almost was enjoying a conversation not about it and he brings it up again and just to see it come across her face is 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 really amazing and she, mm. she does give such a great performance but um yeah i wonder what what did um helen think of it i know it's part of her uh part of her uh, life and job is 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 kind of dealing with this through the charity that she worked for um what's her opinion of the film i'm trying i'm trying to remember if she was working for cruise at the time but you know she i mean we thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> we saw it together <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're big we're big horror fans and we like you say you know when 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 people are trying to do something new with it and actually you know use things crazy things like subtext and metaphor uh, you know within the within what's supposed to be you know, what what's not supposed to be what's widely regarded as as a a dumb genre it's only mm. as dumb as the people writing it and making it um so we walked away from it very impressed we 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 obviously thought it was batshit insane you know we we laughed along with the rest of the cinema when christian is being guided into um 
the, the, the chosen the chosen girl yeah. um because it is it's it's ridiculous and i've I, mm. i've seen people go oh the cinema was laughing it really took away from the sort of the horror and the tension and i was like it's it's absurd you only have to look at his face when he's looking around and seeing it all happen that it's meant to be kind of weird and and you know laughter is pretty much the only response you can have to that it's it's and it's not like ah, ha ha this is hilarious it's a, I don't really know how else to react to what's happening in front of my eyes right now. You know, that's, that's, that's how he's reacting while he's sort of doped up a bit. And we're just laughing at it because it's just like, what the fuck is this? It's not funny. Ha ha. It's just funny fucking weird. But then, but then there's also the, the p- people also laugh when they're frightened. Yeah. You know, like not, not even when they're surprised, you know, that, that you were referring to. I, you know, I, I find quite a lot with horror. It does make you want to kind of laugh because your body is just having a reaction to it. So it's, um, I always find it really strange when people can't understand laughing because your body is just being freaked out that's the point of the horror it means it's having an effect you know it's, um, yeah, it's like just because i'm not screaming it doesn't mean i'm not you know unnerved by something but just just to go back to florence performance florence's performance um i really really interested i really loved uh, little women i really loved the uh, the update of little women i'm Which not I sure haven't if seen. you've seen it no no it's very very good and she is um i think she's very special in that that it's she's it's just something about her. She's very charismatic, really watchable, and mm. not necessarily sort of beautiful in a in a sort in a normal context or having a very symmetrical face or anything. She's just really intensely watchable, and this film in particular lingers on her for a really long time and allows her to sort of su- try and suppress crying and then explore the break and and yeah, it really um. She went to some incredible places for, for this film, and mm. you know, even through her, um, sort of, you know, taking hallucinogens and coming across as somebody that hasn't really, maybe doesn't have that much experience with it, and trying to sort of suppress fear and surprise. I, th- I think she just does a, re- a really great job, and I understand why now because, um, yeah, um, Little Woman was the first film I'd ever seen with her in it, mm. and people were saying oh she's amazing in midsummer and so obviously had that had that queued up and again i'm kind of my own my own saboteur in that way where i'm like oh well she can't be that good you know she can't be all that good but she really 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 smashes it in this film in a way that i can't really think of a of a male uh, counterpoint to it you know that we've seen something you know something close to a debut just hit so hard like she's so relatable as as a person and um yeah it's uh yeah really interesting but um what i'm going to do is i'm going to take us to our first review our first contribution uh we have uh megan who has um who has uh, watched the film she's a, a fan of horrors so i thought that she would um be a good person to uh to watch this film she says, uh, first impressions of this movie is that it's highly disturbing. From the gramps having their faces smashed in to the effed up orgy and chanting moaning, this movie was just weird. It takes the first hour for anything to really happen. And while the music in the movie feels like we're building up to something, I didn't feel like it was putting me on edge as thriller movies should. I also don't think it helped that I'm not invested in any of the characters and they lack development. She's saying that we picked again another kind of slow burner and uh, she felt it took quite long to get to the uh, the scenes where things actually happened. Um, oh, don't worry, we're doing Hobbs and, and Shaw next. 
<laughs> another thing is that half the movie is shown in the perspective of characters being high which becomes distorting when you're dealing with the subject of grief but she did find it really traumatic watching loads of the scenes like the breaking of bones noises from the fall the sex scene which we've already referred to and, and her reaction when everyone screams with her <laughs> even up to the bear suit um so yeah a mixed mixed review from megan she has her questions uh, which I thought that we could go into. Um, I think Megan's uh, questions needs a jingle. I'll try and think. I'll think one up. I'll do one. <laughs> um, uh, why don't you think they address the death of the two friends until the very end? That being think, that being Mark and Josh, or the two? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's you know it's that it, it's this again. It's this ride, isn't it? They're being curated. You know, we hear in part of the interviewing part earlier on, they talk about, oh, how do you make sure that there isn't, um, there isn't inbreeding? And they say that they need people from the outside to help uh, move the, uh, move the uh, commune along. Yeah. And um, that, that, that's our Blair Witch moment, isn't it? That's the referral to the standing in a corner that we, that shocks us later on is obviously this was, this was it, wasn't it? This was all part of it to bring blood and to refresh the bloodline of the of the commune. So I think they, you know, they've been tailored to do it. They've been this sort of cocktail of drugs and and um, all these processions and these parts of the festival were all basically made to get them out of the way of each other, so they can't they can't sort of realize how crazy these things are. In fact, there's even one scene where I assume. Um, the English girl was being killed and you hear a, in the sound mixing again, as with Ariaster stuff, I was with hereditary. You can hear it in the background, but they kind of look around, but they're distracted by other things happening. Mm. And it's, um, yeah, I think the, the, they, they don't really address the death because they're, they're on this ride and they're being convinced to look elsewhere. It's sleight of hand, basically. Yeah. It's all misdirection. A lot of it is misdirection. Obviously, you know, they're told that they went, and everything's fine. Um, but I think by the time Mark and Josh go, they are so far gone. And it's, and it's you know, you, you can tell by the way they're both, this is, this is Christian and Danny, you can tell by the way they're both acting at this stage that mm. they are not really in a position to make any sound judgment. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. it now. They, they're on the conveyor belt. They're in the final, you know, this is the final phase of the, of the grand master plan. Mm. Um, and yeah, then there's just, they just don't really address it. Cause you know, we, as the audience, we, we kind of know. And, and, and when, when Josh goes in to look at the, um, you know, into the, into the forbidden room, yeah. um, and we see that it was, I think it's the Oracle has got, uh, you know, Mark's face on it's amazing isn't it yeah the, the skin face then it's like well we we kind of know what happened then yeah, um, yeah it's not, so it's, it's not good it's 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 dealt with as peripheral it's dealt with this as a, as a sort of they, they, they are incidental characters and they are dealt with in an incidental fashion and it's it, and it's great as well i don't think we needed to see you know them being picked off one by one in a, in a slasher film mm. fashion anyway it's just not that kind of film it's you know it's 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 about Danny really and, and and how she's dealing with it and you know it is P- Pell is very um aware of the dynamic between her and Christian and she, you know he knows the choice that mm. she's going to make yeah. when when it comes to it you know this random guy or this fucker <laughs> or, mm. this, or this fucko so um 
uh yeah so it's 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 all being engineered now before if there's any more questions but to, to sort of tie all this together the one observation i i was going to make about re-watching it was the the beauty of being able to watch it with a pause button um because there are so many cool things that i'd you know read about after watching the film at the cinema because inevitably the you know quite a lot of time has expired between me seeing it at the cinema and doing this so um I, I was even though it's kind of one of the rules that we're not supposed to do that with this with this show it was inevitable with this one for me um but hmm. but what was good was um for example the, the tapestry that the very very start of the film that uh almost pulls apart like uh theater curtains to reveal the film um hmm. if you if you look at the tapestry if you pause and have a good look over that tapestry uh ariasta gives you the entire film in that in that tapestry awesome it's it's all there from yeah and, and even even split into three acts which is the wonder of mm. it it's, it's a tapestry in three acts with um the specter of death looming over danny snow falling on her um her at the center as her three as her two parents and her sister are sort of ensnared by this pipe um and then you see uh, but then you see in the tapestry, if you look closely, all, all the characters are as they are in the film. And so the, the first clue you see is Pell is basically dressed as the Pied Piper and he's leading them to to Sweden, you know, with with a pipe. Um, and Mark has got a jester's hat on, so he's the fool. And there's a yeah. reference to skinning the fool, the game that they play, and ultimately he's skinned, the fool is skinned. Um, uh, you see the two um, people, well, they, well, they're 72, I think is the age, that, they, that, they're, mm. that they're, right. they're forced to jump off the cliff. Um, and you see them falling with wings, like angelic wings almost, as they're falling off this cliff. Um, and right at the end, you see the feast and you see five skeletons dancing and playing music around the festival representing, you know, yeah. the, the five who've passed. So, you know, if you scrutinize that, if you had the opportunity of scrutinize that before you saw the film, he basically just does mega spoilers like right at the start of the film. Gave it to you. Yeah. There's also some um, other tapestries once they arrive at the um, at the clearing. There's um, some stuff where you see um, some uh, trimming of pubic hair. Yep. Um, later on, you know, the, the little bits and pieces that happen later on. So yeah, there's definitely uh, some very intense foreshadowing. Yeah, uh, the, 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 yeah, um, yeah. Christian has the lovely pubic hair pie with a nice mm. cup of menstrual blood juice. Mm. Yeah, sounds lovely. Um, so yes, back to uh, Megan's questions. Why wouldn't the characters leave after the death of the elders? Now, while I do think it's still part of the curation of, um, you know, they're on they're on the journey. The English couple do definitively leave uh, they they are not into it and they decide to go and it's established at that point that there's only one person at a time can leave in the truck and that that sort of takes some time and again part of the uh, sort of the, the sleight of hand is saying that oh we'll get round to it and then they misdirect you into doing something else you know the remoteness of this location kind of plays its part and I think that what what keeps our characters what keeps Christian there in particular is that he is going to do his uh, his dissertation or his uh, thesis on this commune and uh, this brings me to a part of the movie that um, really really liked and 
and uh, really um, my my wife really liked is that he decides to do his thesis on the same thing that uh, that the other character does. Yes, the uh, chap that's in that's from the Good Place. Let me just look him up. William Jackson um, Harper. There you go. Um, and uh, that bit was really, really relatable. The idea of somebody, an uninspired person, just yeah. taking this inspiration away from somebody who'd been doing all the legwork, they'd been doing all the research, that had been very clear about this was his intention yeah. to do his thesis here. And for Christian to come in, I think what it does is it's just a very... Uh, it's a dick move. Yeah, it's a cowardly move, isn't it? But it also helps us to really disassociate from caring about Christian anymore because he'll do this to his friends. There's a scene almost immediately afterwards where you know his friend has been killed. They don't know what's happened to him, but he serves him. He throws him under the bus. He's like, we would never do anything like that it's nothing to do with us you know and so it's all we're going on that journey too we you know specifically the death of the elders they explain it away as really being an intense part of the culture that it's you reach that age and that's what's happened and that's what you want and it's all part of the circle yeah it's like you know he probably didn't want the bit with the hammer but apart from that you know that that (laughs) It, it, yeah, it's the thing. It's like you're watching someone else's culture and it might appear horrific to you, but that's just how it is. I mean, obviously there's going to be warning bells ringing when you see something like that, but sometimes you've sometimes you've just got to accept that characters have to do things for the purposes of the plot occasionally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, maybe, but it, again, it also ties into the theme of, of grief very well mm. where, you know, they're kind of saying, well, in most cultures, you leave your old to just get to the point where they can't look after themselves anymore, and they die, and they die a fairly ignoble death at the end of it all. And with this, mm. they've had a great life, they've got their chance, and everyone collectively um, celebrates and grieves for them together. And it's a it's a unified thing, and it's it's in complete contrast to the way that Danny lost her family. Mm. Um, you know, it was it was an absolute. It was the absolute antithesis of that. The other, the other interesting thing that comes off the back of that is, you know, in retrospect, when Pell says, "Oh, he lost his parents in a fire," <laughs> mm. um, you know, <laughs> you, you go, "Oh, so you were the product of the same ritual that Christian went through, basically." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and there's there, there's that element to it as well, which is which is quite cool that he was basically born into into that system. Um, yeah. via that very system so yeah that was that was quite a nice little subtle nod and they're the kind of elements that I really enjoy about that film it never again unlike that poor old man it never hits you over the head um, <laughs> with, with a sort of sledgehammer sledgehammer subtlety it's it, it does it does let you pick up these little clues and, and and pieces around from around the film and 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 sort of draw not draw your own conclusions most of it is 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 up there and and presented to you but you people just don't have to express it mm. and I, I always appreciate that i hate when films sort of overstate something that's that's already implicit um yeah and it, and it sounds like a really obvious thing to say but there's still so many films where you know some exec along the line has said i think we better spell that out and it's like oh, fuck's sake oh you god know, yeah you've really ruined a moment there uh and, it, and, it, and it's and it's just an ongoing problem and I, i'm just really glad that 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 this film steers well clear of any 
you know any temptation to 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 do that at, at any moment yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. So it's like we have the intelligence to see the tapestry of the pubic hair being cut and going to the thing, and seeing him going, "There's a pube in my pie." We get it, you know. Mm. You don't need someone going, "Oh, this is all part of the ritual," which is what yeah. other films would do. The um, our Megan's final point that she makes is uh, her flower coat at the end is a bit OTT, don't you think? It totally is. <laughs> it's so OTT. It's amazing. It's um. I think it's definitively there. It's definitely smaller than some of the other May Queen uh, coats that we've seen uh, in some of the photos. I think it's probably designed to stop her from running or going too crazy. It's a bit of a insurance. It's, but a, yeah, it's, a, thought... it's a straight jacket of sorts, isn't it? It's a mm. sort of a symbolic straight jacket. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's amazing. I I really really enjoyed that visual of. Her at the end there's um there's a couple of shots of her near the end where she is at first quite sad sat there in the outfit and realizing what's happened and then obviously the one later on where she where she starts to come round where she she realizes that there could be some there could be something to this yeah <laughs> be something to uh getting rid of the uh of trash men um sticking trash men in the in the pyramid of doom yeah so yeah there could be something in this (laughs) something in stuffing the skin of my friends and um sticking my ex in a a bear suit yeah sticking my ex in a bear suit this could be the way forward um (laughs) the um the imagery the iconography all of this stuff i really really was in tune with i think it's very hipstery <laughs> the design the, the production design is um these pastels that are really in at the moment but i really like some of the the drawings particularly of the um the house where they all sleep in the all the bunks and stuff yeah it's all really ornately drawn it almost looks like the kind of um sort of gypsy drawings traveler drawings which i really yes. love all those old ones but the closer you look at them um now i've got uh, as i say i've got it on in the background the closer you look at all of them they're all really unsettling images yeah <laughs> they're all sort of really incredible stuff but then you know with these lovely um repeating designs these sort of flowers and petals going into each other obviously everything is uh is held together you know by the idea of flowers and yeah it's a, it's really incredible it's such a such a well put together film what was interesting um, i think i think Ariaster said it himself he said one of the things that influenced him making this was the wizard of oz um and it's like uh, you know dorothy goes to oz and it's with if i only had a brain which is will Poulter's character the cowardly lion who's christian which I guess makes um, uh, Josh the Tin Man somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ultimately, two of them end up basically being scarecrows set on fire. Um, mm. And there's, apparently there's also, I didn't notice this on first feeling, there's also a, a framed photo of the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz on her fridge or something in the, in the house. Ah, excellent. There's also another it- great bit of um, f- foreshadowing when you see her in bed at the start, that there's a p- big picture above her of a small girl in a crown, sort of pe- um, pe- petting a bear. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, so yeah, just just my, you know, my my final point about this design, particularly of the surrounding, is is you know all of these natural fabrics and everything, and the you know the the, the drawings and everything, but the actual there's a real angular nature to the architecture of the buildings mm. that sort of juts against the you know the natural the order rolling, of yes yeah it's it's done so well and even the um 
the baby cot that the, uh, the 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 baby is in, which is totally unsettling, is 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 askew. There's all of these different things are uh, yeah things are, are not quite right. Uh, like it tells you really early on to you know distrust it, and that that reminded me of um of uh, get out somewhat. You yeah. know, the idea of these these normal things being presented to you in such a way where you're playing with your expectation of a horror and going, well, I know that things aren't going to be quite right. So I'm looking everything, I'm judging everything, you know, based on, you know, is that scary? Is something going to happen there? Is something going to jump out of that? And it never goes there. But what it does is, you know, it paints it on a wall. <laughs> it tells you, as you say, like a, a tapestry right at the beginning of the film, everything, you know, scary or whatever, all the big the big bad is shown to you really early on you're just again he's done the same to you it's this sleight of hand you know with uh with with the elements of the film it's it's so it's so successful in that regard the one that the one that really impressed me was that there's um there's a hidden face in the trees at one point i think it's towards the end when danny's being sort of led on the procession and mm. it's and basically it's the face of her sister with the pipe gaffer tape to right. her mouth is sort of superimposed into the trees you can see the mm. face and the shape of it running in the trees and like when you see it it's really fucking unnerving yeah and it's and it's 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 constantly full of that suggestion and foreshadowing throughout it where there's just as you say there's loads of things just on the periphery mm. that almost subliminally you know tell you what that something's wrong and as you say you you things seem right but they seem wrong and you can't quite put your finger on why and the film's constantly kind of going at great pains to 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 do that in the in the subtlest way imaginable you know it's not doing the person walks out of frame camera then slowly zooms in on incongruous objects with you know foreboding music it's just always it's always in in plain sight and again that's a big thing of the film is that everything is there in in plain sight because there's mm. no there's nowhere to run there's nowhere to hide really it's just this big open perma daylight space um and 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 yet there's 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 so much still under the surface as i say you're you're looking for these tropes these horror tropes and it does the uh reflection of something in the mirror really early on it shows the sister mm. with the with the, oh, with the mask on yeah really it's, uh, really Frankly. early on uh, yeah but i i kind of loved it because it's um it's we almost leave behind horror we almost leave behind our idea of these things that you know that we're, we're used to when and then we're almost glad to go to sweden as well we're glad to see these either to leave behind these drab grays and blacks and pipes and exhaust fumes and everything going on it um Another thing I, I wanted to bring up about the film, <laughs> it's it's going to be hard to explain this one, bear with me, is uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know whether you remember, um, during the start of, you know, Brexit and all these other kind of things, I, I thought that it would be funny to, you know, this idea of how people can be racist against, you know, the people that they've never met, people, cultures that they've never seen, and how absurd it would be to just randomly pick 
uh, a people, a population of people, and then just decide to be, you know, racist against them. You mm. know, just you know, just theorizing about it. And uh, you know, me, you, and me had jo- joked about the idea of, of, uh, of <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. being being going against Scandos about it, sort of suddenly deciding that you were going to not, uh, you know, have anything to do with Scandinavian people. You were going to, you know, not let them, you know, if they walked into a shop, if a Scand a Swedish person walked into a shop, you wouldn't serve them. You know, just how ridiculous the idea is how ridiculous the idea of racism is but don't trust anyone that's all to be honest mate they are really incredible sort of genealogy swedish in particular you know how beautiful people are the like you know tall and you know obviously the idea of the connect the connectivity to you know Aryan and master race and all these things but in sweden it's you know it's it's just it's just part of the of the culture and the population and bringing danny in and bringing um christian's character in they're obviously fair-haired as well and something that they you know they they want to integrate into their culture Mm. it's I think it's so funny that they're almost this idea of this last kind of cultural, you know, frontier. The idea, I, I didn't know anything about Midsummer. I didn't know anything about this, you know, this festival or anything. It just seems so crazy. But then again, it kind of makes sense. It's really beautiful, this idea of actually celebrating something that's very tangible about the calendar. Mm. What re- What is religion and what is these ideas? Obviously, these are, you know, sort of very sort of he- heavy concepts. But paganism and, or, you know, or, you know, that connectivity to the earth and the ground and the sun and, you know, celebrating when, you know, the sun is at its highest and when the days are at their longest. It's actually really interesting isn't it you know it's something that we don't really give much give much credence to in our yeah i'm I'm, you know i'm not i'm not much for the 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 blood eagles and that sort of side of it but um i mean shout out for the blood eagle that poor simon gets when when he's discovered in that in that barn still Mm. alive (sighs) bloody hell yeah yeah very yeah. intense. That was that was because I I've, I haven't watched the most recent series of it, but there was a there's a series called Vikings on Amazon Prime, and there's a very memorable episode where somebody gets blood eagled in that. That was the first time I became aware of that process, mm. and holy fucking shit! <laughs> you know, using using the lungs as the wings is is such. I mean, we humanity is fucked, isn't it? Like the stuff we come up with, very acute and uh, very detailed. Is, ways is mental. Of, uh... But sorry, the point I was going to make is that there's there's there is something largely quite intoxicating about the the tenets of of paganism at large because they because they are a celebration of what we know and what we can see and trying to afford a sort of magic to that, but not to the same extent that most. Um, I'll call them commercial religions do, mm. which is that they've they've almost bullied those styles of religions um, out with their no 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 we've got this far more uh, unrealistic notion of why this is all happening and so you know you 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 guys are the savages, um, but you know and then they proceed to steal most of the pagan rituals anyway and so it's yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah Easter that's definitely about jesus and that's like, no it wasn't mate <laughs> pagan yeah um and can we also can we also say a quick shout out to the fact that the guy's called christian and he's burned in a pagan ritual it's uh it's it's excellent it's um and those ideas of religions that you know the the key factors are all about self-perpetuation about the idea of yeah you know giving half of your earnings over and all those things which 
could never have anything to do with a deity or any kind of you know somebody writing a book and going yes you must make sure that you give over all of your earnings to make sure this religion stays you know <laughs> becomes more popular you know paganism and 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 w- w- those whatever. children aren't going to bugger themselves yeah <laughs> not, you know don't use uh contraception because you know obviously this uh, <sighs> really helps us to <laughs> no, but it's amazing that you know this this religion. I suppose paganism is the closest to it. I'm not exactly sure. I'm probably something slightly ignorant as to what what religion this is um, that Midsummer is talking about. But yeah, it's you know towards science, isn't it? It's stepping towards the idea of you know that there is a life cycle, and you know that people that reach a certain age, it's it's better to have that understanding of of, of what a life is and what young people should do and respect for those traditions. It's mm. you know it. it, it such an interesting idea yeah um, i mean weirdly i mean an, an alternative reading of or maybe it's a complementary reading of the events of the film is that there's also an argument for that it, it is also a representation of the idea of of eugenics you know you bring up the, the Aryan nature of the people that that side of it and that they go for the sort of blonde hair blue eyed white people um whereas the you know the 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 black guy and the asian lady etc are all sort of killed off they're not even under mm. you know they're not even up for consideration no. and so um as it, there's just this idea that they're sort of being pared down to the the ones who are worthy of the you know of of the bloodline um and it was worthy enough of of, of contri- con- contributing to it um and you know and the, the but the, the way that they achieve that is they have on the surface a completely idyllic existence, but they have to resort to absolute barbarism to ensure hmm. the continuation of that sort of purity of the bloodline without having to resort to um, incest. Apart from when they make the you know incest girl. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know, but it's, yeah, hypocrisy is is everywhere, isn't it's it? It's hypocrisy. Of... It's yeah. It's all it's all these things where it's like, oh yeah, everything's fine, everything's mm. wonderful. We're, every, yeah, yeah. Isn't nature brilliant? Oh, by the way, I've just blood eagled some poor bastard. There's 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 that argument to be drawn from it. So you know, on on the surface, it's 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 almost a triumphant metaphor where it's like, oh, she's she's overcome her grief and she's you know she's become part of a new family, but more often than not when people are in stages of grief or at the most vulnerable that is actually when a lot of groups like far-right groups and and the like actually recruit they take Mm. on the most vulnerable and and they convince them that the terrible things they're doing are for some sort of greater good and in their vulnerable mindset they kind of go along with it because there's a sense of belonging to it as well yeah so it's 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 a tough one you kind of feel good for her in a way you adopt a certain ethical code when you watch a horror film so when we go boo christian deserved to die of course he didn't by any real life ethical estimation he's a bit of a shit um and he's he's a plagiarist but that's you know if if that's grounds for for murder or being you know (laughs) sewn into a bear suit and burned to death then you know we've we've should probably raise a lot of questions about society at large but you know when you're watching a horror film that's gavel down i sentence you to death you know that's it's 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 the way that we we judge when we know that there aren't any real consequences and that guy isn't real it's just for the purpose of the story cool he deserved that but obviously he, he didn't movie logic movie logic so, uh, moving on to our second review from uh, regular reader James Buttress. Thank you very much, James. Quick question. What the hell was that? 
I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> Utterly preposterous. But I love the fact that it had the courage of its convictions from start to finish. This is the setup in Everyone is Going to Die. I like that the violence was full on and the conception scene was insane. If only there was an Oscar for best butt pushing. I can totally see why Pew is getting so many plaudits. Her stillness and poise is incredible and she steals every scene. I love the brutality of her backstory, but hate the fact it was just left there as a very obvious motivation and never really explored further. As offbeat horrors go, however, I think this is actually a bit of a triumph. Hey, did James actually like the film that we liked? I think he did. I think this wow. might be <laughs> So it would be interesting oh, to shit, find the out. The sky's just turned red and it's raining blood and cats and dogs are living together. I wonder whether, though, as very often when James reviews, uh, dear, dear, dear listener, dear reader, um, when James <laughs> reviews, we um, very often turn him round if he doesn't like the film that we've done, you know, some of the, one of the uh, 17 other films um we turn him around so i wonder whether if we all like it that suddenly he's gonna think that the film was shit yeah but like, oh, fucking, and was like, no actually it's, it's fucking hipster bullshit i think that it's probably time to go into some of the places that this film isn't successful at and, and i would say that this film you know does have some of those issues um it's you know ambition to do something different does lead it to um, leave some sort of stones unturned and yeah you can explain some of those away but yeah I suppose Danny really only being defined by what has happened with her parents it it does leave us a little bit wanting for for a little more on her character Mm. I really liked early on um, her conversation that she was having with um on the phone where she was saying oh i'm going to push him away or uh, you know is he bored with me all those things like very relatable conversations that she was having but it made her you know didn't make her seem very strong her our sympathy for her is based purely on what's happened to her sister and her parents and i suppose a little more character development um, might have not gone amiss i i guess you know we get a, we spend a lot of time with them um, with some of the other characters and some of their other motivations and you know the boyfriend and the friends seem to be quite dismissive of her sort of automatically as though it's you know and and obviously this is this is something quite real in that you know that they are christian's friends they're not her friends and that's very pronounced early on so again it leaves her sort of maybe slightly empty i don't know i mean you know florence Pugh does such a great job in taking us along there with her but yeah i think you know maybe a little more character you know it, it it it's not a short film there is there is it does go it's quite long and you know we do you know we do have to recognize that it's you know it's nearly a full hour after the our um the magic 90 minute magic 90 minutes so you know i always want to try and say look if you're going to go that long why are we going that long what is it that you're doing and i do think the film is you know ultimately successful in that regard but i think i would have liked maybe a little more time with her you know rather than it being this trope of her being you know oh she's an annoying girlfriend but her parents have just died so we've got to sympathize with her i don't know how do you feel I never thought she came off as, you know, the, the annoying girlfriend type. I think we sort of, we, we we only see a window into her existence and it's just that very devastating window. And it feels like maybe the the relationship was kind of on its last legs at that point. Like maybe Christian had actually had enough of her and she'd had enough of him. And then it was that classic 
scenario of like if you're about to break up but something that devastating happens is the nicer thing to do to remain with them for the sake of just making sure they've got somebody or is it actually better to be honest and to make a clean break no matter the Mm. circumstance it's an impossible quandary really there is no right answer to that question because both both avenues are going to ultimately lead to absolute heartbreak in one way or the other um and so, you know, Christian is is kind of portrayed as being a bit cowardly and that his mates are saying, you don't owe her this and da-da-da-da-da, which is just, you know, real heartless bloke stuff. And I, I'm sure there are a few men who've watched that and gone, oh, yeah, that's definitely happened to me. I've been in that sort of, you know, that scenario. Maybe not, you know, mm-hmm. in the circumstances of what happened to her specifically, but in that the relationship wasn't going great anyway. And now this has put a massive sort of, roadblock in the way of it coming to a natural end um when you know when it it, it could have happened and that would have been the most devastating aspects of it now it's just you know putting another shit layer on the on the shit sandwich Mm. brings me to my kind of second second point the second thing i wasn't such such a big fan of is that you know obviously this idea of reaching outside of the usual tropes of horror meant that it reached quite heavily into I think into mumblecore, into sort of indie film, indie relationship film, and it set us up quite nicely with this idea of this relationship between the two of them. Mm. And because the mechanisms of the film need us to need us to see other things, it needs us to get to some of the horrific elements and death of the death of you know the the friends. That it does drop that part of it, and it does leave me with a slight feeling that I kind of would have liked to almost seen a film of where they're just on holiday and they're exploring some of those things that, you know, that happen early on in the film. And it, it it's not, you know, not necessarily a criticism as though that's what he should have done. It's just something that it does, it does leave me wondering, oh, what, you know, what actually would have happened, you know, with them, you know, further on down the line, you know, it's, as you say that, are they just staying together because of what's happened or would they have split up and what would have happened with, you know, with 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 Pele and and everything, it's um, it's yeah, it's it's a it, so you 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 you're you're after a timeline where Midsummer's just released as, as a sort of Noah Baumbach style Greta Gerwig always always indie, mumble, all... indie mumblecore romance, yeah. Well, I've talked about it before. Um, the the reboot, the reboot of the uh, Jurassic Park franchise, um, uh, J- Jurassic World. There's a uh, there's a half an hour at the start of the film where the park is fully functional. There's this amazing, um, sorry, real real segue here. Um, there's a part where they're watching this sort of massive underwater show where the crowd suddenly goes down and sees this big dinosaur underneath in the water. Yeah and i love that part of it i like i really genuinely loved it i could have watched a whole film just about the park working normally like it just it derails when they have to start going to the disaster part of it you know i i'm you know i'd be quite happy watching a uh a jurassic world uh it's, yeah it's almost um, like they, they could have done a thing where it was more diehardy you know when it's, it's just like hmm. the park itself is almost secondary to the plot and the plot continues to function as normal and it's actually like outside interference that's jeopardizing it and the dinosaurs being there add this element of jeopardy it doesn't always have to be uh oh the electricity's gone down all the dinosaurs have got out again you know you, yeah and you, everything's gone crazy 
Yeah. yeah, you can use that without having to have all the devastation. Because I know what you mean. It's like, oh man, I just I just want to be there one of the days in Jurassic World, stroke Jurassic Park. Just just works normally for twenty four hours. Why do we always have to yeah. see the bit when it fucks up? And 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 I think that there could have been a you know as I say it could have been a midsummer when you know none, none of these bad things happened and we could have quite easily seen the you know the their relationship kind of go and and see where it gone by the end by her becoming the May Queen at the end without him being you know sewn inside a bear and and uh, and burned alive has a you know a fairly civil a civil breakup with Christian and <laughs> they go their separate ways and you know she's she's the May Queen and her and Pell and she's like yeah oh, this is my new home this is where I'll be. This is it. This yeah, is I'll see you later. <laughs> um, so, um, at this point of the our conversation, uh, we normally have a quiz, but this time we were, are not going to have a quiz. Oh, okay. This is because there are so many fucking quizzes out there at the moment. <laughs> There's something about this uh, the uh, lockdown uh, coronavirus uh, society that we've now all become. It's crazy. Crazy. The hunger for trivia. Everyone's done a quiz. So if you are a regular listener, a regular reader, and are wondering where our quiz is, just go on Twitter that everybody's doing a bloody quiz at the moment. So this is my my protest. No quiz. I wanted a will. quiz. Where's my quiz? <laughs> but we will go to Chris Schilling's review. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, he says, I think I describe Midsummer as a flawed masterpiece. I was late to the party with Ariaster's Hereditary, and for me, it didn't quite live up to the hype. The Exorcist comparisons seemed particularly wide of the mark. I thought the first third was fantastic, but it gradually lost me as it progressed, with unnecessary exposition, a few narrative inconsistencies, and moment that seem, moments that seemed too silly to be horrifying. Watching Midsummer for the second time made me want to give it another shot. I first saw it on its release day and found it slightly baggy, but I definitely thought it was the better film of the two. Its opening is incredible. These aren't the most horrifying deaths you've ever seen on screen, not even in this film, but it brilliantly establishes Danny's growing sense of panic. And the moment you hear her heartbroken wailing down the phone is gut-wrenching. What I hadn't realised on my first watch is just how much foreshadowing there is. The various paintings essentially tell you what's about to happen. There's lots of little things that seed the horror to come, like the first casual mentions of the kids playing a game called Skin the Fool, and at times it plays like a jetpack black comedy, and yet that somehow doesn't harm the horror. While I appreciated its slow pace more second time around, I still think it's slightly overlong and occasionally self-regarding. Well, I think Asta captures such a strong sense of place and mood, it doesn't matter too much. Florence Pugh's performance is wonderful. From her early anxiety and terror to her eventual emotional catharsis, it's another example of how the horror genre has brought us several brilliant female performances in recent years, such as Essie Davis in The Babadook, Tony Collette in Hereditary, and Lupita Nyong'o in Us, all of which, including Pew, have deserved more awards attention. Mm-hmm. It's like you're here with us, Chris. It's like you're here with us. Thank you so much. That's uh, yes, totally agree. Just adding and, to um, the um, adding to the hereditary feedback. Can I also say that Gabriel Byrne is terrible in that film? Like he's fucking awful. And it's 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 a, it's a bit of a phoned-in performance, isn't it? It's bad. One. It's it's, um, it's completely yeah. at odds with um, you know Tony Collette's typical masterclass. But yeah, yeah, she Tony really really commits to it, doesn't she? And um, I thought the uh, the daughter was was really good too. Yeah. Uh, 
But um, yeah, something I wanted to bring up about about his uh, about Ari uh, Aster's films is uh, the sound design is just absolutely sublime. Like I've, um, as I say, I've had this had this film on in the background while we're um, it doesn't hit anywhere as hard the sound is such a massive part of it just as much as the um just as much as the visuals you know it's really really well put together um these the off-putting the baby sound the baby crying the music the the, the you know the clicks and the crew the, the the creaks of the buildings and everything and even the you know the the sound of of, of wind and everything through the through the movie is just so well put together i really think this is a a real hallmark of of his trade and yeah very interested to see what um what happens next as well yeah i mean there's 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 already i i guess certain thematic consistencies between those two films so i wonder if he's going for a you know a, a trilogy of sorts in terms of what he's dealing with across across these films or or indeed if you will actually tackle horror a third time um just in case there's a fear that he's being that he's being pigeonholed um it does seem to be where he's comfortable i don't know if he'll be going for like a screwball comedy next or something mm-hmm. like that but um i'd be interested to see if he could do it or or a sci-fi or something else i just want to know if he has more to him than than that i, I agree with chris that I, I I believe that Midsummer's an improvement. Um, I also agree that yeah, it is it is a bit overlong. I think we've all tackled the the length of the film. That's the worst thing you can say about it, really, is, is that it's oh, it's a bit too long. Is it, because it's it's just so. It is new horror, you know. Whatever you mm. say, however you know pretentious that sounds, because it just it it really is just dealing with it in a in a completely new light. And yes, yeah. it obviously shares DNA with things we've seen before but that's that's an inevitability there are only so many stories to tell after all the way the way he he approaches the subject matter and 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 how it's depicted and how he finds new ways to 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 shock and new ways to create unease and and the and just like you say the amount of foreshadowing and subtext that's that's whizzing around that film you know it's it's an intelligently made it's thoughtfully made it's it's creatively you know executed it's 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 all these things that you you really crave especially as a horror fan you you're always like oh, i just wish somebody would do something new because i as much as i enjoy occasionally falling back into 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 schlocky films they they do have a shelf life for me and i, and I don't really get that much joy from seeing a another slasher film um i'm like that i'm, I'm like that with a lot of things I enjoy generally across all sort of mediums is I I like things that are real innovative standouts uh, yeah. as opposed to just uh, you know you like this hence you will like this thing mm. you know yeah. that's why I like so many different types of music because you just find a couple of acts who are just you know a thought to belong to a a genre but you know are absolutely nothing like 99% of what else is out there mm. um yeah and i definitely put um, ariasta up on on that sort of pedestal uh, in terms of someone i think is just genuinely exciting and unpredictable and i love unpredictability i love the ideas like i to go from hereditary to fucking swedish fest pagan <laughs> festival you're like oh yeah. where's where's he going to go next it always yeah. has that excitement like what's he going to tackle next because you he he hasn't got a thing. His he, well, his thing apparently is really nasty, 
close-up head injuries. But apart from that, I don't think mm. he's got a, a thing per se. And anyone that um, keeps you on your toes and keeps you guessing and has you excited to see whatever they've got, you know, thinking up next. It's you know, it, it reminds me of people like PTA because you really never know what you know. You'd, you'd never you know you wouldn't have watched Boogie Nights and expected that guy to have made Phantom Thread, would you? No. So no, yeah. So yeah, I'm really hoping Ari you know, is in, in many regards becomes the, 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 the PTA of, of horror. With that, I think we should, uh, we should bring our, uh, our discussion on, uh, on Midsummer to a close. It's, um, it's another thumbs up from me. It's, um, it's definitely worth a watch. I really hope everybody enjoyed the, uh, the experience of having watched it, you know, even if it does, uh, even if it is clunky in some ways. And I think that, uh, that you're absolutely right, Dan, and that it, you know, it earns, it earns some clunkiness in, in the sort of the bold strides yeah. it's trying to make, um, you know, even with length, even with tone, it's, uh, it's, it's really going somewhere new. I don't think anyone could say this is unoriginal. So you yeah, can't make an omelette. You can't make an omelette without breaking an old man's legs. I think the same goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, so yeah, and assume a thumbs up from you and uh, another another McCartney episode. <laughs> an assumed <laughs> an assumed thumbs up. Yeah, an assumed thumbs up. Um, <laughs> a confirmed thumbs up. Confirmed. Yes. Confirmed. There you go. <laughs> but uh, but moving on, moving on. I would like to stay with the theme of creating a legacy. Of the of a new director, you know, s- smashing onto the scene, uh, creating real splash in the pond, and uh, us wanting to see what they do next. Because I'd like to move on to my warning, my warning, my Ooh. stay away. We've got recommendations, and then we've got warnings. And um, I would like to talk about a uh, a young Gareth Evans. Ooh. A uh, director who explodes onto the scene with uh, a couple of incredible, incredible again incendiary films in in the Raid and and the Raid Two. I um, you really pushed me into into watching these ones. We had uh, we'd both kind of we both kind of heard of it, but I think I believe that you watched had watched it first. And uh, yeah. I, I remember the first time we had a conversation about it. It was to do with the soundtrack, or whether it was um, in subtitles or it was dubbed. There was oh, something okay. to do with yeah. And um, and when I did finally get get around to see it, because uh, they had um, they had sort of slightly changed the name of it when I saw it. It was become the raid redemption redemption yeah uh yeah by the time it had come round but i it it absolutely blew me away absolutely loved loved it um i'm i've, I've yet to see um apostle um oh you absolutely um, should after watching midsummer definitely watch yeah. apostle to stay on yeah. that sort of crazy pagan tip which is uh, which is something that megan had actually referred to that she had really enjoyed apostle uh, as well um and uh, and obviously didn't didn't hit so hard with um with uh, midsummer but um yes uh, uh gangs of london is a uh, new uh series on sky atlantic which um i saw a trailer for saw that uh, that gareth evans was involved um had some a guy from peaky blinders in it yep. and uh yeah thought that yeah this you know this seems as though it's got a it's um it's got all the elements that are going to um going to appeal to me and yeah just to say that it did not hit me very hard it's not very good the script is not is in anything to uh to even report the story doesn't make 
any sense whatsoever, but is interspersed with these really excellent Gareth Evans style um, action scenes. So you find yourself sort of struggling through the desert of each episode, and they're you know they're in like an hour long each of these episodes, ninety minutes. The first episode is ninety minutes, yeah, yeah. They all are. They're all ninety minutes, and you find yourself Why? in this you know adrift in this desert. You know, and then finding these little this oasis where you drink from the pool of this fantastic, these fantastic action scenes, and then it gets longer and longer in between those uh, those stops, those drinks. Uh, by the time you get to the end, and it's it's a real slog. Uh, by the time you get to the end, so how many um, episodes is it? Because we're only what two in, I think nine. Nine. So, yeah, yeah, it's nine. Oh um, yeah, and um, it's it's just one of those ones where it doesn't have the courage of its convictions. It's not trying to a obviously being from London, and the two main characters don't sound like they are from London. The two the the um the guys uh it, they don't really come across as massively authentic i'm not really sure why um but yeah it didn't really it didn't really work for me and as i say there's the um the the action that sees you through the first few episodes really does start to um does start to ebb away um it's um it's it's had some really great reviews as well so it's um it's you know referring back to my idea of legacy of the idea of 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 gareth evans you know lending himself to it he doesn't direct very many of the episodes and so I'm kind of wondering, you know, is this almost like a, you know, a corporate, you know, some kind of corporate buy-in where they're like, if we pay you X amount, can you just do a, like how John Woo did the second Mission Impossible uh, film of just coming up with things that look cool or sound cool and then it just being fit in modular like into the story and maybe he didn't have any say or, or or sort of know much about the story I don't know maybe I'm sort of you know projecting my hopes <laughs> of it on onto it but yeah it's, I think um, it, really... credits, it was like he co-created it and I think he co-wrote it as well and obviously the weakest element of the raid too was just how sprawling the story got you know i guess in service of com- you know contriving as many of those incredible fights as possible yeah um but you know it's really it's really not his strength and, and you know apostle is something really different for him i, I was very sort of optimistic off off the back of that that he you know that he he could do more i also saw a, a horror short he did i'm trying to remember the name of the was it vhs or vhs2 he, he does yeah, vhs2 yeah yeah he and, and that was that was quite crazy as well yeah it's a shame to hear that because i mean the 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 two main fights in the first episode are fucking fantastic and like the the one where he fights the dude with the meat cleaver it is just one of the grisliest things i've ever Mm -hmm. seen like as as a fight scene fuck me it had me properly very few things just make me stop in my tracks and just sort of clench and that entire thing like (laughs) just had me i was i was just like a full body clinch when I watched that entire fight scene. Um, it reminded me, I, I, I commented on Twitter basically that um, there's a film that's on Netflix called The Night Comes For Us, which um, also has a number of incredibly brutal fight scenes. Um, and the guy who directed that, I believe, is like a collaborator with Gareth Evans. And right. um, uh, he uh, used the same actors. It was basically like a role swap from the raid. So, um, the 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 basically the lead and the um and, and the villain from the raid 
uh, kind of swap roles effectively. And it just, I said to it, I said, and basically like tagged Gareth in it, Evans, and just said like, it feels like you're in sort of some weird one-upmanship contest with him to just see who can, you know, <laughs> push things just that little bit further. Because the fight yeah. at the end of the night comes for us is like this knife fight, which again is just teeth gritting stuff. Sorry, I felt ignorant for not knowing the, the names of the leads. It's uh, Eco Wise, of course, was yeah. the, the yeah. hero from the raid and Joe Taslim. And they they swap roles and the night comes for us. I'll persist with it because I'm, I'm intrigued enough by the mm. central mystery. Um, I'm not sure when they reveal their hand or if that's saved until the very end as, as to who has recruited who to do what to who and etc without wanting to spoil it for anyone no um, no 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 and, and and i and i really won't spoil for it i mean as as much as i'm warning other people um i'm actually quite interested to see for you to watch it just so we can kind of talk about it and maybe we'll do it's... another little uh section on it okay. um uh, okay my recommendation then um is is devs oh yes it's my next one which is currently on iplayer um surprisingly i, di- I didn't expect them it's an fx it's an FX show, but uh, it's, mm. it's it's all there on on iPlayer. It is uh, written, and I, I can't remember if it's exclusively directed by Alex Garland as well. It's it, it's sort of what you expect from him uh, in the aftermath of Ex Machina. It's another film mm. that asks um, big questions about. And let's not forget Annihilation. Sorry, it, it does call to mind some elements of that as well. Um, but you know, he he loves to ask these fairly large questions, um, largely by taking uh, the promise of current technology to its logical right. know, and extreme end. Um, yeah. So this is a a. A corporation with obvious parallels to every tech company under the sun um, who has a mysterious uh, annex known only as devs. Uh, and through a series of events, uh, a young lady who I believe was also an ex-machina um, becomes embroiled in the in the mystery of what's happening with devs. Um, Nick Offerman, uh, fantastic in it. First thing I've really seen him in since Parks and Rec finished, to be honest, and it was great seeing him playing a completely different character, um, you know, uh, and doing a wonderful job. It kind of struggles under the weight of its own self-importance at times, I'll say. I think sometimes there's these very slow exchanges, um, and and, and when you sort of get down to them, there's there's really not a lot under the surface uh, of, of what's being said. But it's it's one of those shows where I think its biggest critics are the bores who are so busy trying to disprove the the technology that underpins the story, not mm. realizing that it's science fiction. This thing doesn't exist. <laughs> That's why it's science fiction. This technology yeah. doesn't exist. And like, well, yeah, but if it did, and you're like, well, just fucking, you know, appreciate that most writers aren't quantum scientists and you know quantum physicists and and probably don't know the ins and outs of it as as intensely as you clearly do so you know if if you enjoy it as sort of highbrow pulp is almost how I'd, how I'd put it because i think i think the um the te- the technology it deals with and the idea it deals with is 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 really original 
and it, mm. you know, and it asks it asks some interesting philosophical question, questions about um, you know determinism and whether you believe in 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 fate or even destiny, I guess, no. and things like that. And uh, you know, what w- what's the legitimacy of of, of that philosophy? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We absolutely smashed through it. I think it's I think it's eight episodes again, about about an hour each. But incredibly watchable, keeps you growing, going, has a really great, I, th- I think one of the all-time great henchmen. <laughs> I, love, I love a good henchman. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in this called Kenton, who is uh, one of my favorite Boohiss henchmen um, of recent memory. He's he's brilliant. Um, awesome. So, so yeah, de- devs, devs to me uh, comes comes highly recommended from me. Fantastic. Well, well my recommend recommendation, I uh, I always like to leave it on a on a positive rather than being never negative. Nancy is um the uh is a, there's a Trixie Mattel documentary on oh, uh, on Netflix that. called uh, Moving Parts, uh, made by World of Wonder, uh, the um the Rue Paul production company. Um, so it's obviously connected to, uh, to, to RuPaul. So um, it follows uh, Trixie Mattel, one of the winners of uh, RuPaul's um, All-Stars, but uh, didn't win, uh, obviously part of it, didn't win the, the, the show proper. And follows a sort of afterlife of um, of a of a drag queen, a relationship with another queen on the show uh, called Katya, and basically takes you through the uh, difficulties in making that show, and just basically a real exploration of you know of of black humor, like um you know just to to give people context, um Trixie Mattel was a, a drag queen on the show that wasn't so successful in the first iteration, but when um she came back later on, heroed different parts of her personality, like comedy and you know deconstructing you know femininity rather than trying to be this good looking drag queen. It's 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 yeah, it's hard to explain, but you know really really sort of became a brand. Um, and, and, and was always very popular outside of the show as well, always really resonated with people. But this is a real exploration of that, very candid. And, and documentaries for me are a really good mix of, if you, you've got, got to have an interesting subject matter, of course, an interesting look into charisma, the idea of somebody that has maybe used, uses the medium of drag, but would still be successful in pretty much anything they mm. choose to do, be it comedy, be it music, be it, you know, even writing. Um, it's, it's very interesting in that regard. Um, obviously, it, it you helps. Ignore you their um, uniqueness, nerve and talent either. No, you can't. Absolutely cannot. Um, it's the um, and it's just it's such an interesting look at that. And you know, I'm really, really very inspired by some of the the themes of of the documentary. And you know, and then all the best documentaries actually document something unique happening, which again happens in this. No spoilers, but yeah, some of the interactions between uh between him and and, and Katia are um yeah very intense oh so, really um yeah so really really worth a watch an exploration of uh yeah our darker sides and and what we choose to uh what we choose to do with it so yeah i'd really i'd really recommend that one it's um again not very not massively long it's very well made it's um yeah a, a really easy 
rewatch. And uh, I guess there's not much point in us recommending Tiger King, seeing as the entire world has watched it. Everybody's seen it, isn't it? We, I think we talked about it on a really early episode about the idea of uh, recommending Stranger Things, and you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, well, well, you know, everybody has seen it, but uh, yeah, watch. Just Tiger caught King. this interesting new. Uh, Sci-fi with some hot young actors, Stranger Things. Yeah. I think it's really going to catch on. Although, uh, although strangely, the one thing I will recommend about Tiger King is uh, is see the Louis Theroux documentary. That, yeah, um, we, we watched that. On him. It's mad the amount of people that have seen that haven't seen that, and it's really great because it's um you can actually take some of the references uh, from the show um, and realize why he gave particular answers. Yeah. Like Louis asks him about what would you do if anyone came here and tried to take your zoo. He's very he very intensely says, "Oh, I would euthanize the whole park." He says, "I would, I would, you know, and it, and you know, Louis is is really um, quite shocked at his answer. But when you realise that, you know, the only people coming for his uh, for his park would be uh, that bitch Carol Baskin, is, um, <laughs> is uh, it kind of makes a lot more sense. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Um, <laughs> talking to Trixie Mattel, sorry, I just typed in her name, and she's actually doing a, a UK tour in uh, in January next year." Oh, we should go. So if you fancy it, Bristol, Brighton, Cambridge, Blackpool, Newcastle, Glasgow, Glasgow, Manchester, and uh, going to be at the Palladium. Let's all go. Let's everybody at Trixie. Let's have a required reading Trixie Mattel meetup. And um, and with that, with us uh, offering uh, a night out to everybody that listens, uh, we everybody has to pay for themselves. Um, <laughs> we're going to bring episode 18 to a close. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, um, I'm at, at Alex, 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 without the um, three times without the E. And Dan can be found lurking in your back garden right now <laughs> yes absolutely it's not social distancing um, um there's still a pain of glass between us yeah, there is there is a, a very uh, life-saving pain of glass um well one lucky they... listener anyway <laughs> thank you for derailing my outro dan sorry um and mr pointy head mr pointy head Mr. Pointy Head, and the next episode, now we have sorted out a few technical difficulties with remotely recording, uh, I know the next episode will be, we are going to go back to one of Dan's choices um, for an earlier episode, where we? we eventually decided to do Birdman, we are going to do Midnight Run. Finally, Dan oh, watched that film, yeah. and uh, he's going to finally get this uh, get this blind spot, incredible blind spot sorted. It's a great film, and uh, oh, not no spoilers, but it's it's amazing, and um, I'm really pleased uh, that we can finally get around to doing it. For anyone that didn't listen to the Birdman episode, we were going to do an episode on Midnight Run based on uh, the fact that Dan had never seen it before. And uh, it was cruelly, cruelly ripped away from the the services before we got the chance to record. Um, So now it's back and uh, we shall do it and we'll bring it to you soon. And uh, yes, all that remains is to say thank you very much to you, Dan. Thank you, Alex. Had a great time. And um, and, uh, we will uh, will see you all very soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you.